bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive and do this thing once again. Every day we do this, Father, in humility. We know you, we bring you glory. And we're very appreciative for this uh, honor and privilege, this chance to do so, and to gather together in the unity of the faith, all with our eyes on Jesus and his perfect work on the cross. Father, at this, this time we also pray for those in our congregation that are sick and struggling in different areas. You know all things, and we ask that you show them your hand in their lives, give them more faith and give them peace regardless of the circumstances. And we hope that they can make it back face to face for class soon to join us. Father, we ask that you bless this message this evening, have your spirit guide us and teach us and help us listen with humble hearts. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. The Peaceful Fruit of Righteousness, Part 6. So Tuesday we had a special. Uh, most of you probably already either were here or, or hopefully saw it online. And um, today we'll do a review of, of Sunday's message, basically, uh, with some things the Spirit has added in, of course. And I hope you all enjoyed the special presentation on Tuesday, which was mostly about evangelizing in our current day and age and in our current culture. And I thought it was invaluable um, to know how people are thinking and often speculating right now in our culture so that we can respond the best way uh, that we know how. And just understanding somebody's thinking can be a big help, right? If you don't know where someone's coming from, you might, you know, be barking up the wrong tree or going at it the wrong way. So it was very informative. I hope uh, everyone listens to it at least once. One thing that really hit me was Zacharias's comments on this verse on the board in 1 Peter 3:15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence. We would be wise to read this verse over and over and just contemplate it for ourselves, for our own hearts, and for our own approach to people. There is so much in this passage. And he said some wonderful things to uh, think about in the message. So again, on the board, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Um, one theme that's coming up over and over in tonight's message is this theme of gentleness also in how we approach people, how we deal with people. You remember Jesus was so gentle in the scriptures that he wouldn't break a reed that he passed by. And so... If that's how he was with people, um, telling the truth in love, right? The truth hurts, but in gentleness and in reverence here. So just consider that as we uh, move on here with our review of Sunday's lesson on the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 12, verse 11. 
Hebrews 12, 11. This is the main passage where the title for this series came from. We'll see how long the Spirit has us on this, but again, this is another deep passage that we could spend months on. But we'll see what the Spirit has. Hebrews 12, 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So on the board, we saw this come out on Sunday. Two aspects of Hebrews 12.11. First of all, being right before God produces good fruit. Pretty plain and simple. Being right before God produces good fruit. And then also the idea of the word peaceful being a big adjective. Uh, think of all-encompassing. Think of, you know, big picture and how it affects every area of our life. And it means something very big, very deep as well. In God's plan for us, His peace is always available to us. That's another theme that's going to come out tonight. His peace is always available to us, regardless of our calling in life or what type of good fruit we might be producing in our lives. Those are almost just details. All right? They're all very important to us. What God wants us to do is what we want to do, and we each have different callings. But what transcends that, almost covers that like an umbrella, no matter where you go, is God's peace. And that's what's being discussed here in this verse and, and lately by the Holy Spirit, that being peaceful is a big adjective. Something pastor asked us to think about on Sunday on the board is that the very essence of God is encapsulated in peace. In other words, God in his love, in his justice, in his righteousness, he's never not at peace when he's exercising those attributes. Maybe one attribute at a certain time for a certain people. He's never not at peace. Uh, God is eternal life. God is light. He's never not at peace while he is all these other things too. It's all, he's all one and He's never not any of these things. He's just God. That's who he is. But peace is at the center of it. The very essence of God is encapsulated in peace. God is always at peace because of who he is. I wrote down in my notes, it must be nice to be perfect. He's always at peace just because of who he is. He's never lacking anything. He's never, you know, his mind isn't wandering somewhere like ours do all the time, even right now, some of you. <laughs> but it must be nice to be perfect, and one day we're going to be perfect too. But he's always, always at peace, even with who he is, and so he wants us to get a deeper glimpse into that on a regular basis, growing in his peace more and more. As we continue our review, Pastor also asked us to look at it this way. For God to have something to give he must first possess it himself, right? How's God going to give something he doesn't first possess? And of course, God being perfect, he's at peace all the time. He, he has peace all the time, and he has that to therefore share with those who follow him. God never loses his contentment, for example. He never loses his contentment, despite 
the horrible acts of some of his creatures at times. Think of the stuff that goes on in this world that God certainly isn't happy with, but he never loses his contentment. He never loses his peace. Just as God is always love. On the board regarding God's essence, this also came out on Sunday. God is never fractured. So when we say we have one part of him, we must accept all of him. God is never fractured. So when we say we have one part of him, we must accept all of him. Something to just think about. God never drops one aspect of who he is when he exercises another aspect. And so as we learn to think like God, which is really why we're here, right? We're learning to think like Christ. As we learn to think like God, we can experience his peace regardless of what he's asking us to exercise in the moment. Like love, like justice, like righteousness. Whatever, whatever the calling is at that moment in our lives. He wants us to have his peace, to hold on to his peace. The Apostle John spoke about abiding in the love of God. And one of the key benefits of having this privilege is peace. So turn again to 1 John 4.16. We're going to review a couple passages uh, we went to on Sunday, plus we have a couple new ones coming up. But John talked about abiding in the love of God. And when we do this thing, you can't not experience his peace. But free will is still in play. Uh, Humility and obedience is still in play. 1 John 4.16 We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. So there's a picture of peace confidence in the day of judgment and not just on that day but how about now as you look forward to the day of judgment as a believer who's following Christ we can live in peace regarding even judgment day because we know who our redeemer is we know who our representative is and as is going to come out in a special series starting Sunday we know who our high priest is It is Jesus Christ representing us all the time in perfection. So we can have this peace. Why? Because we, in verse 16, have come to know and believed the love God has for us. So even regarding judgment, we know who saved us. We know his credentials. We know his essence. And we thank God also that his love towards his children is unfailing. That's one thing that gives us peace even now as we think of the day that we're going to meet him face to face. There are a lot of people terrified to meet God one day, whether they're unbelievers that, you know, refuse to submit or are just wondering and refuse to learn or look into it. Or there are believers that don't follow God's word or or don't study the word, don't learn the word. So they're not going to have this peace resting in God's love. They're going to have an element of fear. 
uh, looking forward to that day, but we don't have to. So on the board, regarding peaceful fruit, our access to divine peace is not a function of fruit, strictly speaking, but rather a function of being in Christ, in God, in the sphere of peace itself. Peace is a transcendent, a state of being, of living, of abiding experientially. When we received Christ in us, we were given access to his peace in John 14, 27. And then we saw this. Peace is the fruit of being righteous. If you're righteous, if you live in humility, in God's righteousness, you're going to have peace. And it's unbeatable. There's nothing else you could want. We talked about the clear conscience. To honestly have a clear conscience before God and be able to sleep at night and um, you know, put your life in His hands, so to speak. Even different areas of our lives that we don't want to quote-unquote give up. When we do that thing, when we obey Him, even when it's not popular, even when it's not even in our own preferences, we're going to be rewarded with peace. So this is true positionally and experientially. Let's go to a very popular passage now, uh, which we would be remiss with if we didn't include this in this study on the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Turn to Philippians 4, verse 4. Philippians 4, 4. Peace is the fruit of being righteous. It's a fruit of obedience, of doing the right thing. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. There's that word gentle again. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Basically, this passage is saying to us, if you do these things, in verses 4, 5, and 6, you're going to have the peace of God, God guarding your hearts. Supernatural peace, beyond comprehension. That means you can't grasp it mentally. You can't calculate it. You can't do ABC outline kind of thing. It's a supernatural peace. Comes from obedience, living in these things in verses 4 through 6. So once again, peace comes from obedience. His peace is transcendent. It enables us to live above it all, regardless of the circumstances we face. Isn't that, like, isn't that the gold we're after? I mean, isn't that what, what God's Word promises to deliver when we gain His wisdom? That, that regardless of circumstances, we can be at peace, happy, content, have inner joy. That's, you know, Christ. His peace is transcendent. It, it enables us to live above it all. That's part of having a supernatural relationship with the Lord which is what the Lord designed it to be, a supernatural relationship, not a religious relationship. 
when we follow him, we are blessed, first and foremost, with his peace. And, you know, the key is, again, we're talking about obedience, right? We're talking about following Christ. We're not talking about pretending we're following Christ. We're not talking about doing religious steps to make ourselves feel good or make us feel like we're following Christ. We're talking about following Christ, the surrender, whatever. And not just, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about following Christ. You know when you're following Christ or not, right? Because you have a conscience. And you know when you're playing games. You know when you're doing your duty and your heart's not in it. So when we're blessed is when we're really following Christ, when we're obedient to his word, despite our own preferences. As came up on Sunday, peace is God's end goal in sanctifying us. That's what God wants greatly for us. Peace is God's end goal in sanctifying us. To cut to the chase, we can say that peace is a primary fruit of why God sanctifies us. He doesn't want us to live in this world and be miserable and be doubting and be fearful. He wants us to live like adopted children of God. Like kings under the king. He wants us to live with that confidence and that peace and that that joy, knowing who we are in Christ. Just like any father would want his best for his son, right? How much more God? So peace is a primary fruit of why God sanctifies us. And as we continue to obey God's word, we ultimately end up the way Paul was, which was at peace no matter what the circumstances. So you're in Philippians 4, look at verse 11. We went here on Sunday, Philippians 4.11. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And we must allow God to give us strength, by the way, instead of getting in the way. But look at the context. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is he talking about? He's talking about having peace in any circumstance. He's not talking about lifting a building, right? He's not talking about superhuman feats or something like when you think of strength. He's saying the strength to be at peace in any situation. I've learned that secret, and it was through his strength that I was able to do it. That's God's desire for us, to, uh, the place he wants us to be. As the Spirit's been pointing out, peace transcends all fruit or all types of fruit. On the board, as long as something is righteous, there's going to be peace in your life. As long as something is righteous, there is peace. You will have an inner peace when you do the right thing in God's eyes, period. It may hurt when you make the decision. You may be attacked by others when you make the right decision. But you're going to have peace in your soul and be right with God. And there's nothing more important on this earth 
For example, when you make a vow to God, keep it and have peace. If you don't keep it, you won't have peace. And this came up in my own life. Uh, I'll just share. Um, I made a vow to God a while ago regarding finances. And would you know he blessed me to take care of some debt? And then what does my mind start to do? Wander. What should I do with this? What else could I do with this money? Not even irresponsible things. Responsible things. But then I'm like, oh, yeah. I made a vow. To, I made a, like, you know if you made a vow to God, right? I'm not saying make this up as you go along and be like, oh, gee, I'm all guilty. I got to do this with the money, whatever. You know if you made a vow to God, and I did a while ago. And he's like, um, you know, don't, don't let your words be vain. Don't renege on your vow. So I'm not going to have peace unless I live in that vow. So the heck with the new car. I'm not going to have peace unless I obey that vow. And that's, that's beautiful because you know what? It's, it's supernatural peace that's going to come my way through obedience. All by His grace, right? But it's just how God designed life. And um, there's nothing more important than being at peace with Him. So, His peace comes from childlike obedience. In other words, it's not always rational. And that's what I just did in this example I gave you. I started to become too rational, rationalizing a better way to do it or whatever. You know how you start doing that? It's not always rational. It may not, be, it may not even be rational to you. But if you know God wants you to do something, do it. If you're convinced in your heart. His peace comes from childlike obedience, even when things don't seem to make sense to the flesh. Or when we'll be losing something by obeying his commands. But it's all worth it. On the board, regarding peaceful fruit, the gateway to actually experiencing said peace is in obedience, a.k.a. being righteous through the power of the Spirit and his word. Our free will decides on experiential reception of God's peace. When we obey or when we choose to obey, we will receive it. And that's what we see throughout the Word of God. We see it here in Luke eleven twenty-eight. Blessed are those who hear the Word of God and observe it. It doesn't just stop at blessed are those who hear the Word of God. It's like if you really believe me, you'll follow me, Jesus said, right? I know my sheep, they follow me, they hear my voice and they follow me. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. I was thinking of the peace that Zacchaeus had in Luke 19 when he decided to pay back everyone that he hurt. And you could just see it in his enthusiasm, in his conversation with the Lord. Lord, whoever I've stolen from or whatever, I'll pay back four times as much, right? What did he have? A clear conscience. He surrendered, he obeyed, he, he, he knew he, he wronged people, he was against the word of God, so he chose to rectify it, even to his own loss. I mean, he was a rich man. You start giving everybody four times the amount that you took from them, guess what? You might have the goose egg. He didn't care. I counted all but rubbish, Paul said, right? I counted all but dung compared to knowing Christ, my Lord. 
Zacchaeus had peace because he obeyed the word. Also, don't forget, we must turn to Holy Scripture for peace as well. Um, it doesn't just mean observing it and obeying it and doing it is going to give peace, but even the word itself gives us peace. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ in Romans 10, 17. So even this very thing we do right now, we're allowing truth to wash over our souls in humility, and that will give us peace as well when we do it in humility. We also talked on Sunday about uh, earthly righteousness, an earthly form of righteousness that has no guarantee of peace. We aren't to turn to the world's quick fixes, which cannot give us the transcendent peace of God. Don't, like, fool yourself. Don't be like, well, I'm going to do this thing. It's a good thing. It's not what God wants me to do, but I think it's a good thing. And I'm also going to do it for the sake of getting accolades from people, not God. It could be earthly righteousness on the board. No matter how earnestly it's practiced or even achieved, earthly righteousness has no part in God's peace. We believers receive his peace as a function of bearing fruit of righteousness. And that's God's righteousness, not our own. There is a human righteousness, which, you know, God calls disgusting in his word. Jesus spoke at length about this, as we saw in Matthew chapter 6 last week. When we do things before men, we seek peace and accolades from men, ironically the very men that let us down and sin against us, and we get caught up in seeking temporary and superficial peace from people. And that's all people can provide us anyway, right? Temporary and superficial peace. We've got to get over ourselves. We've got to look past the flesh's whimsical desires temporary fixes. And as came out on Sunday from the Spirit, we are to think about the implications of the world sales pitches. I hope uh, you had time to think about this. I did myself. And, um, you know, to think about what's really going on behind the scenes. For example, television commercials came up. Programming came up. What are TV commercials implying behind the overt message? Right? What are they implying? behind the scenes. It's usually something like you're not good enough the way you are uh, and you don't compare well to other people. I mean, that might be nine out of ten commercials we see are saying that underneath their breath, you know, underneath the overt message. Satan would love us to start thinking that way. Some of us already are trapped in that system, in that way to think, because we're being inculcated with these themes from media. And we don't even realize it. We just suck it in. It's not that bad. It's not that bad, right? And then next thing you know, you're thinking that you have to compare yourself to others in this area and that area, and you're miserable because it trained you to do that. So thus we need the Word of God every day, right? But we also have to watch out what we hear and what we listen to. Because Satan's trying to train us away from the Word of God. Like God's trying to train us with his discipline in Hebrews 12 so that we can get the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Satan's trying to train us away from that. He doesn't want you to 
surrender to the word. Then you need more hard discipline instead of learning the easy way. But Satan wants us to buy these lies that are implied in the world's sales pitches. Instead of resting in the peace of God, knowing that God has a plan and a purpose for you just the way you are. Can you imagine if we didn't have mirrors? What would it be like if there was no such thing as a mirror? And you didn't have to look into it and examine yourself, especially you ladies. Oh my God, the things you do to yourselves. <laughs> what would the world be like if we had no media and no mirrors? Guess what? You'd probably be free. You could care less what you look like, what your hair looks like, what your nails look like, what your skin looks like, what your body looks like. You would care less. And you'd know that God made you uniquely. There's nobody exactly like you in the whole world. And God has a unique purpose for you. We'd be free. But what do we do? We put ourselves in chains by submitting to the media. On the board, we are to seek to please our God and Savior alone. In other words, not people. We are to seek to please our God and Savior alone, knowing He has us right where we are for a reason. Did you ever see that movie, Simon Birch? And remember that movie, Simon Birch? It was about this guy. He was, a, he was a midget, like legit. And he's like, what's my purpose in life? Like, why am I here? Why am I made so different? And then he, he gets this task to, to take care of some children on a bus. Right? And he had, he, had, he had spiritual thinking. He's like, God's got a reason for me. God's got a reason for me. I haven't seen it in a while. But he ends up saving the whole bus uh, load of children from, uh, I think it was some kind of a, flood i can't remember i don't know if they drove into a pond i can't remember but seriously it was it was it was life or death he saved all these kids and he died and it was beautiful it was awesome but no matter who you are no matter what you are no matter what your deficiencies are god's like i've got a plan and purpose just for you why don't we believe that because we believe the media instead and we want what we want the flesh wants what it wants but again, on the board, we're to seek to please our God and Savior alone, knowing He has us right where we are for a reason, even at this very moment in your life. God wants us to stop listening to the lies in the world that get us comparing and seeking the favor of men. That's where we must ask God for more faith, too, once again. And be careful what we listen to and what we watch. Unless you want to be a slave unless you want to be in chains, unless you want to be miserable. So we have to keep our eyes on the right things, the righteous things of God. Remember also in Philippians, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, etc., 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 let your eyes be on these things. That's where happiness lies. That's where purpose lies. And that's where peace comes from. And this begins with keeping our eyes on Jesus himself. On Jesus himself. To use an analogy, Jesus is our north star. You know, a pastor's always talking about going due north, right? Jesus is our north star. And he is the word of God, right? John 1, 1, Jesus is the word. The word became flesh. So the Word is our North Star. 
And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, right? According to the Word. They're all one is the point, and they're all a North Star. What does a North Star do? Points us in the right direction every single time. Without fail. Isn't it interesting that God provided the North Star in the sky as a physical example of the purity of his direction, the purity of following him. There's only one place you can keep, keep your eye on in the whole sky to know what direction to go in. No matter where you are in the world, no matter uh, whether you're in a jungle or you're on the open seas, you're in the southern hemisphere or the northern hemisphere on this planet, you can look up at night and follow the bottom edge of the Big Dipper to find the North Star. And you know that star is due north. And from that, you can know which direction to go. What a picture. And this star, it's not the brightest star, by the way. The North Star is not very bright at all when you look at it. But it's always in the same position in the sky, faithfully. It's always showing us the right direction. Is that a coincidence or did God design it that way? As another illustration of his faithfulness and his truth. And that just goes to show us that God always offers us the right direction to go in if we're humbly willing to look. Always offers us the right direction to go in. And how did this analogy come up? Because of Hebrews 12.1. So go to Hebrews 12.1. What are we told in this passage? To fix our eyes on Jesus. Does it get any simpler or, or more pure than that? His person, the example of peace, perfect peace in the flesh. The gentle one who didn't even break a reed when he walked by it. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on him, that person, who endured all this stuff and had peace through it all. He didn't even grow weary or lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is our North Star. You can't go wrong. You'll, you will never go in the wrong direction if your eyes are fixed on Jesus. And that includes His Word. So if we want peace, we must follow the Lord. And as has been coming from this pulpit, obedience implies very practical lifestyle choices not just a mental assent to obedience you can't fool God right you can't fool God obedience implies very practical lifestyle choices you know when you're doing something that's questionable in God's eyes your conscience tells you the spirit knocks on your conscience will you open the door please please open the door I don't want this to be harsh discipline He's faithful. 
He says, this is very practical life. You know, you know the right thing to do. If you do it, I'm going to give you peace. I know it's going to hurt. I know you're going to lose something in the process, but I'm going to give you my peace. On the board, God gives faith, Romans 12, 3, which leads to obedience. And that leads to peace. So if you're not being obedient or you're struggling in a certain area, ask God for more faith. He's faithful. He wants to give you more faith. What's, what's he waiting for? Usually humility. Usually for you to ask with a humble heart. And he'll give you more faith. You know what happens? It leads to you obeying the word of God, which leads to peace. His way, not the world's way. Not the earthly form. So again, Hebrews 12, look at verse 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? What does subject mean? Obedience, right? Sub submit. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us, the earthly fathers, for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God's discipline teaches us and trains us so that it yields this peace in our lives. And once we're trained and taught, we begin to obey God's word with humility, hopefully, the next time. Right? Not the same way we had to learn the hard way. Not, not the stubborn child that needs the harder discipline to be trained to receive the peace. But that's why God's doing it. He's training us. He's taking us along. He wants us deeply to have this peace, to experience his peace. And as we've been noting, obedience and doing the right thing will bear this peaceful fruit in our lives. On the board, look at Hebrews 12, 11 in the Amplified. For the time being, no discipline brings joy, but seems sad and painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. right standing with God, and a lifestyle and attitude that seeks conformity to God's will and purpose. <clears throat> so peace reigns in the heart and soul of God, and He wants us to have it too. Just think about that as I take another drink. Hold on. <clears throat> peace 
peace reigns in the heart and soul of God. Doesn't it? Like we talked about his essence. It's just part of who he is. He's never not content. He wants us to have that too. We can't have it perfectly in this life, but we can have more and more of it as we obey, as we humbly follow him. It only comes by doing the right things in our lives according to the word. Another perspective came up on Sunday, just a question to think about. Isn't peace a big picture emotion? That's a different way to look at it, right? Just think about it without us giving a direct answer. Isn't peace a big picture emotion? It's simply, pre- it's simply present in God's essence, as we've already talked about, including his love and patience and kindness and goodness. Keeping this big picture in mind, we must remember this is not a religious endeavor. God wants us to have this peace, right? Big picture. It's a big adjective. But this is not about getting on a treadmill and obeying God for personal gain. You'd be missing it. This is about desiring to be like Him. To be like Him. To have His peace, uh, which again transcends the actual circumstances of life. On the board... True religion isn't a formula. Be careful. As Pastor said on Sunday, please do not take the religious route and spoil it for yourself. All this with talk about obedience, you know, leading the peace and all that, don't get on some kind of religious treadmill. That's not what it's about. God looks at the heart. You can't act obedience if your heart's not in it because it's not acceptable to God. And that's why sanctification takes time. Because you can't act your way through it. God doesn't want that. He wants your heart. So if you're not willing to obey from the heart yet, relax. Be patient. Don't try to force it in the flesh and make it happen. Pray for more faith, more humility. But whatever you do, don't jump into a religious formula to try to check all the boxes so that God gives you peace. You're not going to have it because you started from the wrong place. This is about a relationship and desiring to truly be like your Heavenly Father. Just think about that statement. This is about a relationship and desiring to truly be like your Heavenly Father. I want you to think about right now an earthly father-son relationship. What does a little boy want? What is the greatest thing a little boy wants to be like his dad right to be like his dad a young boy doesn't try to control his dad and get what he wants by his behavior that's when you get to be a teenager right but that's not really what the boy craves in his heart He wants to be like his dad. And that's how it is with us and God. Once you've been adopted into the family of God by grace through trusting in Christ, you now belong to him. And he's your father and he calls you son. 
what more would please your Father than to be like Him, to be righteous like Him, to be righteous like the Lord? That should be our heart. It's not always our heart because we're stuck in these fleshly bodies. But this is where, you know, a perspective to consider. And it's God's kindness and goodness toward us that should motivate us to do what pleases Him, not a religious output formula to get stuff for ourselves. In other words, it's His love that should motivate us. The Apostle Paul told, told us how it should be in our hearts as God's children. On the board, 2 Corinthians 5.14a, For the love of Christ controls us. That's what should control us. doesn't always, because we relapse, so to speak, into the flesh. But this is what God, your Father, wants you as a son or daughter to have your attitude towards Him be. Your love is what motivates me. Your kindness, your mercy, your gentleness towards me is what motivates me. In the NIV, it says, for Christ's love compels us. So this is the mature way of thinking. This is what God, where God hopes we arrive or get to. And it comes from faith and humility and the Word. It's a sanctification process. But this is where any father wants his son to obey from, this position. I love you, Dad. I can't believe all you've done for me. Uh, I want to be like you. Another perspective as we begin to close is that peace is a grace gift from God. And in the irony of the spiritual life, we receive more peace when we lose things or drop things that we highly esteemed in this world. Why is that? Because those things unknowingly were holding us back from receiving His peace. We don't know it till we drop it, by the way, right? Isn't that usually the case? You didn't see that you were a slave to something until you got rid of it. And you see the resulting freedom. But this is the true life that Jesus talked about in Matthew 16, 24. Go there. Matthew 16, 24. This is true life. To experience true life from God and the peace that surpasses all comprehension, you have to give up your own life, your own ideas about life, your own ideas about peace. Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Again, as the Spirit gave us on Sunday on the board, peace is a grace gift. And we receive it when we lose those things we so highly esteem in this world. Doesn't make sense. 
It's opposite what we would think. It doesn't make sense to lose things and gain peace. But it does if you want God's peace. So on Sunday, we read a poem by a woman who lost a lot. Her name was Annie Flint. Her mom died when she was just an infant. Her father gave her and her siblings up for adoption at age three. She suffered emotionally and physically with debilitating rheumatoid arthritis, ultimately being bedridden with awful sores. And I shared with the leadership team on Sunday as we were talking about the message, how I personally recently met two ladies in their 50s, each in separate households, ironically in the same city, who are completely bedridden with multiple sclerosis in their 50s. And both of them had amazing faith in Jesus that was so inspirational to see that would make you cry. And it's just plain supernatural, like the faith that Annie Flint expresses in her poem from the bed that she was trapped in. Only our Lord can impart such a peace in such a difficult circumstances. And these women lost a lot. Why they lost a lot? God only knows, literally. But they lost a lot. In fact, some might say they lost everything. But God filled in the spaces with better things. And it's arguable that unless they lost what they lost, they wouldn't have the type of faith and peace and hope and love in Christ that they have. So this poem has a whole different meaning when you think about where this lady was at when she wrote it. And she describes the kind of peace that's almost indescribable that we read in Philippians 4 surpasses all comprehension. So again on the board, let's just read through this. He giveth more grace by Annie J. Flint. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing. The Father, both thee and thy load, will upbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth, and giveth, and giveth again. God loves us so much that he will use various methods and people to show us his amazing grace, the power of his grace, his peace, his mercy, and his love. And Annie Flint treasured God's grace even being totally disabled and in pain. And we complain about things that obviously aren't even half as bad. So how did she possess this peace? 
Where did this come from? It has to be supernatural, doesn't it? This doesn't make sense. This is the kind of attitude and faith and love that converts an unbeliever. Who knows how many she might have met over the years that could not understand her peace and turn to Christ because of it. But it's definitely supernatural. It's a gift given to the humble. And sometimes it takes being humbled, losing everything, or so it appears, to receive his peace in full. So even when we sin and fail God, we can turn wholeheartedly to God's grace and more and more appreciating of what he's done for us. I know for me, actually ever since Sunday and ever since this poem, and Pastor talked about grace and how we can always reach out for more grace. What father doesn't want his child to ask for more grace, for more mercy? How can a father say no? An earthly father wouldn't. Our Heavenly Father is waiting for us to ask for more grace. And so He's always there, even when we fail. Even when you let God down, quote-unquote, really bad, right? You did it again. And um, He wants you to run back to Him and seek His grace and mercy because you know His character, you know His essence, you know He is the God of peace. And He wants to bless you. One thing I hope you noticed in the poem is that Annie didn't fear the future. And neither should we. And the reason we shouldn't fear is because on the board, God always provides what's needed in the moment. God always provides what's needed in the moment. He never fails. And maybe the key phrase up there is in the moment. Because I know I often say to myself, you probably do too, if this happens to me or that ever happens to me, I won't be able to handle it. Right? Yes, you will. Because God's faithful. He always provides what you need in the moment. Just like it happened for Annie. So don't fall into an earthly, fleshly perspective and live in fear. I could never bear that. I could never handle that. God will give you the strength. God says, I will provide. Whatever I might ask of you in the future, I will provide. Do not fear. That's the one thing God doesn't want us to do. Do not fear things that can happen in this world, in this life. Go forward by faith. Live and watch me provide every single step of the way because you're following me. Might it be hard? Yeah. Will he provide the ability to be content in the situation? Yes, he will. It's just who he is. God never, ever comes up shy in providing for his children. So, run from fear. Don't even, don't even entertain it. On the board, this came up on Sunday also. Our God is a God of results, not merely vapid thought. He does what he says he's going to do every time. Thank God for that. What a father, huh? What a father to desire to be like, to imitate. And why does he discipline those he loves in Hebrews 12? He's trying to lead us to more grace and peace. 
more goodness. Everything God does or allows has an ultimate good purpose in mind. And we'd be very wise to remember that. Let's close with a passage in James chapter 3 that we finished with on Sunday, which gives another perspective on this peaceful fruit of righteousness. James 3.13 God is so faithful. We have to stop looking with a fleshly lens and instead just fix our eyes on Jesus and go for it. James 3.13 Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. There's that word gentleness again. Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What a clear connection we have again between peace and righteousness. God is a God of simplicity. He simply seeks that His children follow Him so that He can bless them. That we do the right thing and therefore bring Him glory and experience the supernatural peace of what it's like to follow a perfect Father. He wants it all for us. And it's simple. Again, James 3.18 as we close. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A good verse to rest on and think about as we uh, go home and we'll see you on Sunday. Let's bow. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for your word and just the grace and truth that washes over us as we contemplate your word. Father, we ask that you give us more faith and more hope and more humility as we go forward, trying to please you as our perfect dad in heaven. Uh, help us, Father, just want to be like you, not be on a religious treadmill of any kind, but be motivated by your love. And Father, we ask that you help us take out the wisdom of your word to this lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen.